Hi there, and welcome to the Forwardcast, the podcast designed to give former Jehovah's Witnesses and other members of harmful high-control groups the tools they need to rebuild their lives, rip out the bad mental programming and thought patterns that got shoved into their heads, take back control of their destiny, and become the people they were always supposed to be. My name is Covert Fade and I was born into the Jehovah's Witnesses, a very high-control religion that could well be described as a cult. As a JW, I was not allowed to have my own opinions on things like politics, science, or religion. My thoughts, behavior, and emotions were tightly controlled to conform to a very narrow and unrealistic view of life, with strict punishments should I stray from the approved paths of speech, thought, and action. I left the religion several years ago, but doing so cost me my friends due to the JW policy of shunning those who leave. I was left with no friends, no direction, and a head full of bad wiring and terrible habits from spending 30 years in a fundamentalist religious sect. Oh, and if you're curious as to why I'm not using my real name, it's because that if my JW parents found out that I was publicly critical of their faith, well, they'd shun me completely. The thing is, I'm not unique. Every year, thousands of people leave behind high-control religions, groups, and cults. These people step out of what might be a lifetime of being told what to think, say, and do. They stand blinking in the sunlight in their newfound freedom and think, now what? Where do I go from here? How do I rebuild? How do I become the person I always should have been? This podcast is designed to help you answer those questions. I'm not an expert, and I don't pretend to be one. What I do is interview a wide range of XJWs and others who have exited high-control groups and find out from them what behaviors and strategies help them to rebuild their lives and overcome negative mental mindsets and habits that were deeply ingrained into them by the group they escaped. We discuss what worked for them, what did not, and try to find commonalities in both setbacks and success. We will present you with a wide range of tools, suggestions, and solutions to many of the issues faced by XJWs, and then invite you to examine and test drive these suggestions in order for you to apply a specific philosophy described by the great martial artist, Bruce Lee. Lee actually created his own unique martial arts style, Jeet Kune Do, by training in countless other martial arts and then using the following process. One, adapt what is useful. Two, discard what is useless. And three, create something that is uniquely your own. And that's what I invite you to do. Test drive what you hear in these podcasts. Adopt what you find useful. Discard what doesn't work for you, and over time build your own customized, unique toolbox of habits, life strategies, and mindsets. You've already won the battle to wake yourself up from cult control. Now it's time to win the battle to rebuild your life and become the person you were always meant to be. So, welcome to the Forwardcast. This is our uh, initial episode. This is episode number one. My name is Covert Fade, and I'm joined today by Alice Cheshire. Alish, Alish, Alish. Welcome Alice. to the cast, Alish. <laughs> <laughs> Easy for you to say. Apparently not. 
Cool. So what I thought we could do is start off by just uh, introducing ourselves a little bit. Um, mm. So I'm Covert Fade. Um, I'm using an obvious pseudonym, and that's because like many Jehovah's Witnesses, um, I was able to leave the religion without officially leaving. So some of the people in my old JW life still talk to me. Um, if they were to find out that I was publicly critical of the religion, they would all shun me as if I was dead. Um, I'd rather not have not that happen unless it has to. So right now I'm using the, the, uh, the name Covert Fade. I was a Jehovah's Witness for over 30 years. Uh, and during that time, I had a lot of bad habits burned into my brain. I actually had doubts, doubts about the religion probably for about 15 of those 30 years, the last 15. But it took a while for it to all build to a head. Um, but when it did, I, it was only a period of a couple of weeks, really, for me to realize after doing a bit of research that the religion I was in wasn't true. Um, I left and I actually became something of a JW activist. If you read the JW survey webpage, uh, you may have seen some articles I've written. Um, you may have also encountered me on the Watchtower in Focus show on the uh, YouTube channel of uh, activist Lloyd Evans. So I've been around the block a little bit, um, but now I'm here talking to you through the forwardcast. So that's me. Um, so what I'd like to do now is hand over to uh, today's guest, Alice Cheshire, and she can tell you a little bit about herself. Thanks, Covert. So, um, yeah, it's really, uh, really excited to be here. Um, I think in some ways our stories are a little bit similar. Um, I was born into the JW religion, uh, third generation. So my parents and my grandparents were all uh, devout Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, I was a member, a, a fairly devout member of the, uh, of the, the church for uh, in excess of 25 years. Um, after 25 years, it got to a point where um, I felt compelled to uh, to break free, to move on, to find uh, a different path. Um, a lot of, uh, if you speak to a lot of XJWs, um, it's it's evident that some have different stories. Some people go through this unfortunate and horrible experience of being shunned, actively shunned by their family and by their friends. I'm lucky and lucky enough that I haven't been through that. In in and in that way, I'm a little bit similar to you in that I've been able to fade quietly. So what that means from a practical point of view is that there are certain people in my friends and in my family who still talk to me, who still. Uh, pick up the phone when I call, who still answer my text messages, who will still meet me for dinner of an evening. There are so many people in the XJW religion who don't have that, uh, that available to them, who, whose family and friends have made a decision to shun them completely. So from that point of view, I feel quite uh, privileged and quite blessed. However, it has come to a point where I feel uh, that I want to give something back, give something back to the XJW community, but not just XJWs, anybody who's been in a, a difficult situation, anybody who's not been able to see a way forward, who's not been able to understand where their life goes from here, what path do they take, who are they, what, what decisions are they going to make, how are they going to shape their own lives? And so that is the path that I've chosen to take with my life, to give something back to those, those people. Um, 
So with that quite impassioned, uh, <laughs> with that I'm quite waving impassioned, flags and banners as you speak. I'm... I, do you know what? I'm actually here, like standing up and down, stomping and waving my arms because I feel so bloody uh, impassioned about that whole thing. But yeah, so that that's kind of my background. As I say, I think you and I have some similarities in there, particularly as far as the fact that you and I, I think both of us have been quite lucky not to be mm. shunned by our families uh, to have been able to kind of pull off this this fading malarkey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there are a lot of people who will be tuning in who are ex-JWs um, or possibly JWs who are looking to leave. Um, yeah. And we should say that fading, if you're an ex-JW, if you're a JW who's looking to leave, fading is an option you should definitely explore. You should always do what you think is right for you. Um, but do some research about fading. Uh, there's some online communities that can help you and you, activists, they can talk you through how you, how you can do that if that's something you'd like to try. Yeah, and I think, I think what's really important to understand there is that there are lots of people out there in the XJW community who have been shunned and that's really horrible and my heart goes out to them, but it isn't an automatic if you're a little bit, uh, if you plan things carefully and if uh, everything falls into place, you can sometimes get away with fading. And the benefits yeah. to that are you get to keep your family. So, yeah. And that kind of brings us onto the general theme of what this podcast is about, because as you said, this is, this is all about what happens next. Because there are, there's so much fantastic information out there to, for doubting Jehovah's Witnesses to try and work out whether or not this is the correct religion. There's so many podcasts and, and videos out there that help people get out and help people fade or deal with, deal with the disfellowshipping process or disassociation. But what you and I are going to talk about is, and this is really the focus of the podcast, is, okay, you're out. Now what? Because what happens, especially if you've been in in the Jehovah's Witnesses or in Scientology or in a fundamentalist religious or political or, or any or a or an abusive relationship maybe. Absolutely me. that's exactly the, the, the thing I was going yeah. to add to that list there was you know we're talking about controlling relationships yeah. and those controlling relationships could be a cult it could also be a controlling personal relationship. Exactly and you don't when you walk out you don't really walk out. You are probably carrying, especially if you've been in for a number of years, a lot of bad mental habits and damage that only, I know this was certainly the case for me and I'm still experiencing this. You, you come across situations where you're reacting in a certain way or your response is to do a certain thing. And that response isn't really you. It's that old leftover, in my case, Jehovah's Witness conditioning, which is making me act or behave a certain way, which is still really detrimental to me. And that I don't recognize as the true person I am. And so like many ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm spending a lot of time kind of unpick, picking the splinters out of my brain and working out kind of where the, where the artificial cult behaviors are and where the real me is and trying to separate the two. Um, is that something you've experienced in your life as well, Alice? Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned earlier um, JW Survey, which is just the most amazing website. And I know that obviously you and uh, Lloyd have been, uh, you know, really, really massively involved. And I, w one of the first things I did as part of, um, as part of my activism, but also as part of, of, of taking on board my own story, of accepting that this is who I was and this was my background, I wrote an article. The JW survey 
which was published oh god last, last year i believe yeah last year or the year before some at some point within the last you know i'm the editor and i can't remember where it was when it was whenever it was i'm i'm sure that as the incredible podcast editor that you are you will add the link into the comments of this podcast but the the, the gist of the survey of the of the article that i wrote was basically are you still in the cage mm. have you left physically the JW cult or any cult or any controlling relationship. But is there some part of your, your mental faculties or your emotional uh, responses that are still trapped? And for me, for a, for, for a long period of time, that was certainly who I was. I left the JW uh, religion actually not because of um, the doctrine, not because I became disillusioned with the overlapping generations or uh, the, you know, the doctrines on child abuse or, or blood transfusions or any of those things. None of those things, although those things now I'm incredibly aware of and I think are incredibly important, none of those things were actually why I left. I left because I fundamentally couldn't continue to live my life the way that they required me to. Um, it's probably no uh, surprise to anybody listening to this podcast that I'm quite an independent gal. Uh, I make my own decisions. I make my own rules. I live my life quite independently. The idea of having a man tell me what to do doesn't necessarily sit very well with me. Alice and Cheshire so would definitely have been a suffragette. In exactly. She exactly. would have been right beside Pankhurst. Yeah. So there was all this stuff that was going on. So when I left, I left because I couldn't live in that way anymore. But because I left didn't mean that I didn't take, as you were saying earlier, all of these beliefs with me. All of these beliefs that maybe I wasn't worthy, that uh, I, I wasn't capable of making my own choices, that I didn't deserve to make my own choices, that everything that I did was sinful, that having my own thought was wrong, that I was going to be destroyed in some great, you know, fiery destruction and, and all that sort of stuff. And so although I left physically, there was a part of me that was still stuck in the religion. And so it took me a very long time and a lot of work and a lot of effort to finally get to the point. And don't get me wrong, there are still times when my JW indoctrination comes screaming out and 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 assaults me and and influences the way that i'm acting and when it happens i bloody hate myself for it but those things still happen but it took a long time for me to finally almost break free of those chains because when you have been born into something when you've been indoctrinated from a very very young age and psychologists agree that that you know most of our uh, personality and our beliefs are shaped when we are young children somewhere between the ages of four and eight or nine four to eight or nine when we're very young children that's when the basis of our personality and our beliefs are actually shaped so if you think about it everything that we do now reflects back to those ages so we can almost be a little bit kind to ourselves when we understand that so much of what we do now mm. is, uh, is, is, is influenced by what we learned and what we believed then. 
but so many people who grew up in those sort of experiences you know we have to accept that that stuff influences our lives and so for so long i thought that i'd left and maybe physically i had but mentally there were parts of me that were still trapped Absolutely. and that's a very long answer to a very short question that you asked me but it's a very it's a very good example because i think you could ask any xjw or ex scientologist or anyone who's come from another very controlling religion or relationship and you'd get a similar kind of answer and experience now what i'm what i'd like to do is slightly also ask you a little bit about what you do for a living because there's a reason why this episode and, and quite a few episodes going going forward are going to be a double act between myself and alice that's because um alice has a unique skill set which is very useful for people who want to try and tackle these kind of issues so alice could you describe a little bit of what you are professionally and how the kind of skills you have can help people um deal with these some of these issues absolutely yeah so for many many years you know i had a a, a a standard career as you would think I worked in an office you know I worked nine to five etc but there was always something that didn't sit with me and it always came back to this idea that I wanted to help people to be more to, to find more to, to find their potential to move forward and a lot of that I think comes from the background of being raised in the JW world and if you think about it and i think this is you know one of the major themes for today's episode when you're raised as a jw you come to believe certain truths or certain pseudo truths mm. you come to believe that you have no power to affect change you come to believe that you yourself and your opinion and your thoughts and your beliefs don't matter you come to believe that whatever you want to do your dreams, your goals, your aspirations are not as important as going and knocking on doors and, mm. and, and going to the, the assemblies and, you know, supporting the organization. And you can, so, even have a, you can even have a scenario where your dreams or your aspirations are explicitly forbidden by the absolutely. Well, so, yeah. absolutely. And obviously we all know about the, you know, the fact that it's discouraged to go to, to college or to university to, to get further education. So, one of the things that I became really, I think I was always more uh, enthusiastic about, but I became more and more enthusiastic about, was helping people to achieve their goals, their real goals, not the goals that were imposed on them by seven, now eight men in, uh, in New York who decides that um, people, particularly women, their only goal should be to go out and, you know, knock on doors and then raise very obedient children and be good wives it was about helping people to actually fulfill their potential and so a couple of years i made a decision that i was going to uh, become a life coach and so i went and i got my qualifications on that and now that's what i do i uh, help people fulfill their dreams mm. work towards their dreams get what it is that they really and truly want help people to put aside the i can't mm. and go towards how can i mm. how can i do that rather than i can't and so that's what i spend um you know most of my day my days doing is working with people to help them 
to fulfill their dreams mm. and it's bloody awesome Absolutely. Now, could you, I would actually like to just chime in and said, I've actually worked with a life coach previously and I found the experience fantastic. It, it felt like it unlocked a lot of my thought processes and it's, it's a process I, I do repeat myself. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to, to get you on this podcast and sort of hopefully get you on quite, quite regularly, because I think this is a, a very useful insight to get into the problems xjw's face could you elaborate a little bit on the difference between say um a life coach or a, a therapist or a psychologist i mean yeah. what is it that delineates those specific professions just so that people understand if they're think, you know where where your advice fits into that kind of schema of, of different different professionals absolutely and the first thing that's really really important to say is that if that, 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 that getting um, counselling or uh, psychological therapies are absolutely essential. So there is no substitute for that. If you have any kind of trauma, if you have uh, post-traumatic stress about something you know horrendous that's happened to you in the past, if there is stuff like that, you must, must, must go and find yourself a counsellor or a therapist who can help you through all of that. And that is the first thing that must be said. The thing that I love about coaching and the difference between coaching and counseling and psychotherapy and all those other things is that coaching is very much focused on the future. Now, I've been to counseling. I've been in and out of counseling and psychotherapy for the best part of 20 years. I've been and I've sat on the couch and I've talked about my thoughts and my feelings and I've reminisced and I've, you know, regressed into my childhood and all those sorts of things. And all of that stuff is amazing to a point. But the thing that I found challenging about all of that is that it comes to a point where there's only so many times you can go over the past. There's only so much understanding you can get from the past. And that understanding is vital and you have to do that. But sooner or later, you have to say to yourself, okay, I've got the understanding from the past. I get why I am the way I am. What am I going to do next? And one of the reasons that I was really excited when you um, contacted me about this podcast was because it felt like it was a seed change. It felt like rather than focusing on all the stuff that's happened in the past, which we can't change, we can change how we view it, but we can't change what actually happened. What we can do is we can, with coaching, we can look to the future. We can do something different. We can make a change. We can shape our own reality. And the thing I love about that is that it's taking back control. We are taking back control of our own lives, of our own destiny. And particularly when you come from a background such as a high control religion, JW, Scientology, an abusive relationship, whatever it might be, when you've come from a background of high control, the idea of taking back control for yourself is so important. And what I love about coaching is that what you're essentially doing is you're saying, right, forget all of that stuff that's already happened. Actually, it's not quite true. Keep in mind all that stuff that's already and, happened. And understand it and process it. Understand but. it, process it. But we can't do anything with that now that's happened mm -hmm. 
what are we what good are we going to take from it what are we going to learn and then yeah. what are we going to do going forward and that's what i love about coaching it is about action it's about the next step and so the psychotherapy and the counseling is the process of actually helping you come to terms with the damage and helping you process it and understand it and and that that's a process that for some people might be quite short for some people might be quite long Absolutely. but the, the but the the life coach is more about okay now now we're coming to the point where you can start embracing the future and that might be synch synchronous so somebody might be seeing a psychologist and a counselor and a life coach all at the same time would that be fair to say and they're all handling slightly different aspects it's all it's all necessary parts and you can't neglect any particular part but they're all kind of like the the the, the life coach is kind of helping you go forward to the goals you have and that's the specific expertise that a life coach brings to the party it's all about how do you how do we get to where you want to be what do you want from life and how do we get there exactly and it, it it's that forward looking mm. looking back and understanding you know self-awareness is one of the biggest gifts that we can have mm. one of the biggest gifts we can give ourselves self-awareness fund, uh, funds everything else it, it informs everything else but once you're self-aware or once you get to a certain point of self-awareness mm. you have to move forward and that's what I love about coaching and that's what I help uh, I absolutely love helping my clients with is okay what are we going to do now? Mm. What happens next? What, and, and not even just what happens next. What do you choose to do next? What do you choose to happen next? What is your choice about your life? And when we are dealing with people like myself and like yourself and anybody else who's left a high control religion where that control was taken away, mm. simply getting that control back and saying, what do you choose next? That is massively empowering. Yeah, and that's and that's actually brings us nicely onto the theme of of what I was thinking we could go to next because self, well, as you say, it's kind of like the past is the kind of thing that we need to understand and we don't want to dwell in. So what we're quickly going to do is review a couple, few ways in which the Jehovah's Witness religion actually takes your control away, and to understand why a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses kind of feel powerless to affect change and almost they're in a a situation of just accepting whatever comes their way because they don't feel they can do anything about it. Now that's, you'll hear that from a lot of Jeho ex-Jehovah's Witnesses have struggled with this. That's not a coincidence. That is because the, the taking away of your ability to believe you can affect change in your own life and that you can control your own life is fundamental to how the Jehovah's Witness religion operates. The surrendering of your ability to steer your life where you want it to go and make the choices you want to make is if, if you're someone who wants to control your own life and make your own choices, you can't be a Jehovah's Witness. You might try to join, they won't let you in. If you're in and you try it, you'll be bounced out on your butt probably within a few days. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about this earlier. So what, what ways do you think, um, from your experience as a Jehovah's Witness and now looking back as an XJW and also someone who specializes in helping people you know, assert control over their, their own life, what areas of the doctrine do you think you can pinpoint as really fundamentally flawed in this respect? Well, yeah, like you say, we were talking about this earlier and we were trying to kind of um, uh, pinpoint it down to some, you know, really, really concise bullet points. Um, I personally think we, we could talk about this, as you said earlier, we could talk about this all night. Mm. But if I was going to if I was going to nail it down to some sort of headline points. I think I've come up with three. Okay. 
And the first one, um, the first of those points is, when you are told your entire life that you need to wait on some spiritual being to solve all of the problems in your life, why on earth would you think that you have the ability to solve them? Mm. And as a JW, you are told over and over again that the only person who fundamentally can solve all the problems in your life, in the wider world, is Jehovah, God. When, it, when it's drilled into you that that is the only way that any of this stuff is going get, to get sorted, mm. is it any wonder that then uh, JWs don't believe they have any power to affect change in their own lives. Yeah, that weight on Jehovah attitude is is core to the doctrine. And you'll hear, if you've been a Jehovah's Witness and you've ever spoken to the elders about any frustrations you have, any problems, um, you know, and it can be anything from, I'm really struggling in the relationship, I'm struggling with some personal emotional issues, I am, I don't like my job. Um, I've always wanted to do something with my life, but I, I can't do it. Or you're telling me that, um, you know, there are, there are Jehovah's Witnesses who are incredible footballers or painters or musicians. And they're told, well, don't do that right now. You have to spend all your time in the ministry and wait on Jehovah because in the new world, he'll give you those things. Um, or there are people who are single and they're frustrated. Well, rather than being given decent advice on how to go out and find a partner they're told, well, wait on Jehovah because he'll supply one for you or he'll give you one in the new system. And, this mentality of, as you say, the only person who can fix anything is Jehovah. So there's no point you even trying. Just drift through life as best you can, you know, doing what we tell you and living the way we tell you. And then at some future date, Jehovah will fix everything for you. Well, then when you step out of that religion and you lose this person over your shoulder who's going to fix everything for you, but you haven't learned how to fix things yourself. And I found this the first couple of years of my life. I actually realized subconsciously I was still waiting on Jehovah to fix stuff for me um, after I'd left the religion. And it wasn't something that was in my head. I was just seeing problems and ignoring them because what could I do? Or I was seeing this and ignoring it because what could I do? Um, I mean, I was just to give a quick example, um, and I don't want to dwell on these too long because I know we're going we're gonna to move on to a more, you know, at the next point soon. But today is a, a um, this if you're listening to this, this isn't today because obviously we're not recording this live, but I have just voted in a local election. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses teach you the only solution to anything is a perfect solution, which is Jehovah God's kingdom. So wait on Jehovah and there's no point doing anything else. Well, the reality is that there is no perfect solution and Jehovah is not going to fix things for you. So as you said, if you want to see less crime or you want to see a better economy or better health care, or you're concerned about security, or you're concerned about education, the only people who can fix that is us. Mm -hmm. And we have to take responsibility. And obviously, one way that's open to, open to us to take responsibility is to get involved in, say, a democratic process and, and try and um, you know, give our consent for a certain party or a certain politician or a certain ruler to sort of come in and implement policy changes. Now, that's just one thing that came to my mind, but that's an example of Jehovah's Witnesses don't even engage with that concept because the only person who can fix things is God. Um, and it actually took me, I didn't vote for the first year I left the religion, not because of a, um, a personal political conviction but because it didn't occur to me that i had any influence on what the government was 
because I was so disconnected from being able to influence anything. So this, this weight on Jehovah mentality is absolutely toxic in terms of actually going out and taking responsibility for problems and trying to fix them. Yeah. And I, I think what you've said there also is, is really interesting. And I know um, from our conversations, this is something that you want to come to talk about maybe in future episodes um, of this podcast, but this idea of um, abdicating responsibility. Mm. And I don't think, you know, I don't think that now is the time to go into this in any great detail because I yeah. think, you know, we're going to we're going to explore this in more detail in a, in a future Absolutely. episode yeah. but, but really briefly you know that when, when you've been told your entire life that you don't have to take responsibility for affecting change mm. it can be really comforting to continue in that uh, in that belief that you don't have to take that responsibility because responsibility is scary Mm. it's scary to make change it's scary to try and do something different and so I think there also is maybe following on from that idea that we were talking about uh, you know if we're waiting on Jehovah to make all of those changes it means we don't have to mm. and it means we don't have to put ourselves out there and make that change and that's kind of an extension of you know the, the 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 point we're talking about that when we've been told all our entire lives that Jehovah's going to make change, we don't have to. We don't have to make the effort. We also don't have to take the risk. Yeah. And that is something I think, and I know we're going to talk about that maybe yeah. you know in weeks to come. But I think that's a really interesting point as well. Yeah. In fact, listeners, every time you hear us say we're going to talk about that in a future episode, uh, take a drink uh, and be warned by the end of the podcast, your, your liver is probably going to need beating to death with a stick. Um, so the other, so we've gone through one. I think we've got two other points that we've identified yeah. in JW Doctrine that kind of feed this negative mentality. So what's point number two you've got? So, so point number two. So point number one was this idea of waiting on Jehovah. Point number two. Um, you are constantly told as a JW that you cannot trust your own judgment. You are constantly told that independent thinking is a bad thing. Nay, not even a bad thing, potentially an apostate thing, a mentally diseased mm -hmm. thing. So you're constantly being told that you cannot trust what's going on in your own head. So when you're constantly being told that, Every time that you have any sort of independent thought, any time that you think to yourself, oh, there's a problem, maybe I could solve it in this way, your immediate reaction is to doubt yourself because for so long you've been told that your thoughts, your beliefs, your actions cannot be trusted. And especially... And not exclusively, but especially if you've been uh, raised as a JW or you grew up or you, you came into, a, in, into the JW religion relatively young, this gets into your mind, this gets into your brain and you come to believe that whatever is going on in your mind cannot be trusted. So that was the second point that I thought was really relevant on this. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. 
I, I agree, I think, and it's actually, when you analyze the way JWs demonize, uh, the, the JW religion demonizes, you know, what they call independent thinking, literally the ability to trust your own confidence, yeah. and then also your ability to solve problems with your own logic, um, because they will so often say, well, you're not allowed to do that, or this is the solution we've provided, or if, if, if you're kind of questioning the doctrine, you can't come to your own logical conclusion about what the doctrine means, you have to accept a conclusion they give you. The thing that struck me is we talk about problem solving and trusting your own solutions is one of the fundamental. I mean, I'm not a psychologist or a neurologist, but I understand that when they're measuring the intelligence of a creature, be it humans or or other creatures that we see around them, the ability to solve problems and trust the ability of a creature to solve its own problems is one of the fundamental measures of intelligence. It is so core to the the cognitive process of, of us trying to work out how much of this its environment does this animal understand? How, how, how does its thought process work? The more we see problem solving, the usually the more, okay, this, this creature is very aware of cause and effect, and this creature is aware of its, own, of its own impact in the world, and this creature has confidence in itself to repeat this problem solving. And the JWs with this whole literally telling them not to trust their own minds, like you say, you literally end up second guessing and doubting one of the fundamental things that gives you consciousness i mean it's like that that fundamental aspect of human consciousness is what you're doubting and then if you are literally you know you like you say you end up paralyzed i mean we're going to come back to this but you end up paralyzed what what if i'm wrong how can i trust myself because someone else you always used to make this decision for me i've always had training wheels which is understandable if you're a very small child but when many of us leave this religion you know you can be anything from 15 to 25 to 55 and there are people who leave very late in life and are suddenly almost at the level of small children when it comes to trusting their own opinion and their ability to solve a problem absolutely and i think what you've said there you know this idea to to trust ourselves to solve a problem um to 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 trust our own ability to understand the problem and then come up with a solution. And the longer that you spend uh, in, a, in a cult or a high control environment, and you know, this obviously we, you know, we have experience about uh, leaving the JWs, but this is similar to you know, women who have been, I'm saying women because it's most likely women, but men as well, you know, yeah. anybody who's been in a high control relationship, who's been in an abusive relationship and then escapes that relationship, they have problems making decisions and moving forwards because they don't trust their own judgment, because they've never been allowed to trust their own judgment. And the extension from that is not just to trust your own judgment, but to make a mistake. To yeah. make a decision, have it go wrong, and understand that it's not the end of the world. It's okay if something goes wrong. It's all right to fail. Whereas in the JW world, if you fail, you are the worst of the worst. Yeah. That's, there is no opportunity to make a mistake. And that's kind of the extension of it. It's almost like the consequence of uh, trusting your own judgment is that if it goes wrong, you then uh, you know that th- there's there's no propensity for um, for forgiveness or anything like that. It's it's the fact that 
you made a mistake and therefore that means that you are a bad person. Exactly. Now, if you're listening at home, lined up your vodka, take another shot because we are going to be discussing in a future episode that fear of failure. Um, because one thing you'll find out is that one of the common themes around people who are very successful in life and who get what they want, and we're not talking just in terms of money, we're, we're talking about just what they want to get out of life, they're usually quite happy to fail. And they're usually very tolerant of failure. So we're going to come back to this subject because it's a vital thing to learn to learn to be. So I, I think I think the important thing is what you said there. It's not necessarily that they're happy to fail. Mm. It's that they're tolerant of it. Yeah. Exactly. If it happens, it's okay. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So moving on to point number three. Um, which, what was the one we discussed? Cause I actually haven't got it written down in front of me and I'm a terrible podcast host. So I'm relying on, I'm relying on you to, uh, pull my, pull my fat out of the fire. Here. Me, but I actually did more prep for this than you this, did. This is embarrassing. I'm like, ah, it's fine. I'll just wing it. And we see, I failed. I have, I, I, I'm learning to fail. It's cool. I'm, I'm good with it. We can pull, we can recover this. It's good. I love, I love the fact how you're your own example. That's great. <laughs> I'm your own um, example of failure. Yeah. <laughs> No, the, the, the third point, um, and I think a lot of these tie in, but the third point that, uh, that, that came to mind when we were talking about this idea of, um, you know, why people who leave JWs um, or the JW religion uh, lack or, or, or find it harder to affect change. There's something in the JW religion about the fact that a lot of the problems that you have you have brought on yourself now I don't mean that directly but if you think about a lot of the teachings for example lots of women in the JW world are taught that the majority or, or actually all of the problems in the world are because Eve <laughs> decided that she liked an apple and she listened to a snake and you know persuaded Adam to to go against God's will literally Eve was the first person in the world not to read the apple terms and conditions oh that's good and slightly <laughs> geeky <laughs> I don't know if you deserve an award for that I stole yeah. that from Twitter I must admit no, no, it's very good it's very good but you know what that is so many of the the rules and regulations and the teachings and the doctrine that come through are basically Eve brought it on herself and so by extension we know we are taught the wages sin pays is death the fact that we deserve bad things to happen to us because we have done x y and z because we have sinned and so what all of that causes is it causes us shame it causes us to believe that we're not worthy it causes us to believe that we are not good enough and i'm saying good enough in brackets in that good enough is a title we are good enough or not good enough hmm. and the thing about JW teaching, high control religions, all of that stuff is it basically teaches you that you are not and never will be good enough. And so you are always running to catch up. You are always trying to prove yourself. You're always trying to say, I really am good enough. Look at what I've done. I did 20 hours in the ministry this month and I did so many Bible studies and I was a good wife and I listened to my head. And you're constantly trying to prove that you are worthy 
of being loved, of being accepted. So when you're constantly being told that you are not good enough, is it any wonder that you doubt your ability to make a decision and affect change? And this fundamentally is something that I think it takes a long time. This is something that I've only got to in the last couple of years. You know, I haven't been an active JW for over 10 years now. And it's only the last couple of years that I finally put all the pieces together and I worked out what it was that that religion was telling me day in and day out. And the fundamental message that that religion tells you over and over again is you are not good enough. You need to prove yourself, but you will never do enough to prove yourself. You will never be good enough. Every time you do something, the the finish line gets moved again, further and further away from you. And so that was point number three, I think, in in our kind of three points of of why, from a a psychological point of view, uh, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses and people coming out of high control cults and religions find it so difficult to actually understand and accept that they can affect change. Mm. And I agree. I mean, I think, and just, just on that, that final point of like, you know, them saying to, you know, God's undeserved kindness, you know, there's no, Mm -hmm. there's no possible way you deserve not to be murdered at Armageddon, but as long as you're doing enough of what God tells you to do, you'll, you'll scrape through the the murdering and he'll just murder other people instead. Uh, Essentially is, is, is what, is what plays out in a Jehovah's Witness head. And that, that constant feeling of, I'm not good. It's only, it's only, I'm, I'm kind of not, you know, who am I to, who am I to, for example, ask my boss from a pay rise, I should be lucky to have this job. Who am I to go and approach these, this woman I'm attracted to, or this man I'm attracted to, because I'm this not good enough person, there's nothing great about me. Who am I to, you know, try and get a career or get a job or climb this mountain? Um, you, you, you can often hear that. And, and again, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, everyone's different. Everyone comes out with different things they're working with. Some have a lot of self-confidence. But there's this underlying theme that you, you hear a lot from XJWs that this lurking feeling of I'm not good enough is really there. So we've got these three, um, these three points we've discussed. And I'm sure many of our listeners will be saying, uh, yes, and also this doctrine, and also this doctrine, and also this thing. And you know what? You're absolutely right. If, if we, we were talking about earlier, the problem is if we listed all the doctrines, this would be a four-hour podcast. Um, and the, the focus of this podcast is to understand where this comes from. But really what we want to talk about is, OK, so you've left. You spent a lot of time with these doctrines, taking away your ability to um, believe you can affect change and that you can go and control your life. So what do you do now? I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I've left. I'm, I'm you know, blinking in that sunlight of freedom. But I have all this programming in my head telling me that, um, you know, I can't trust my own judgment. I shouldn't have independent thinking. Um, you know, I've, I've been used to waiting to God for God to solve all my problems. And I've got this horrible self-doubt because I've always been told I'm this sinful, miserable creature. So what are some ideas? And again, this we're going to be talking about this on many podcasts because this is a very deep subject. That, here we go. It's, it's, Drink number three. <laughs> I should actually drink while I'm doing this. It'd be really funny. We should erase that. about to the podcast. off my chair. So what can you do if you find yourself in this situation? What are some things you can do to start to get to grips with this? 
Mm. Um, what, what, uh, as a life coach, how, what advice would you give for like a beginner's pack of yeah. kind of introduction? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is if you are able to, and if it's something that is accessible for you, get yourself some professional help. Now, obviously, that's not something that's available to everybody. But if that is something that, you know, you reckon that you you have the capacity to do, then find yourself an outside sounding board. Find yourself somebody who you can bounce off. Because that external point of view is something I, I my, one of my mantras, I have many mantras, as you're going to come to understand. One of my mantras, and I say to my clients is every coach needs a coach. So although I am a coach, I have my own coach. And what's incredible is that having that outside point of view, I can be completely stuck. And yet I will talk to her for 10 minutes. Mm. And all of a sudden, I see a way clear. And it's simply having somebody to, to give you an alternative point of view, to be a sounding board, and simply to let you speak, to give you that space to work things through. Mm. What I also appreciate is that's not necessarily practical for everybody, whether it's money or time or whatever it might be. But there are things that we can do to move ourselves forward. One of my absolute non-negotiables when it comes to working with my private clients, one of the first things we always talk about is mindset work. This is something that you probably will have heard of in some form or another. You've heard fake it till you make it. You've heard all of that stuff about how if you act a certain way, eventually you will come to feel a certain way. You know, there's all that stuff out there and I'm not going to spend loads of time going into it. But something that is really important from a mindset point of view is journaling. Now, journaling is not the same as keeping a diary. Keeping a diary is I got up at seven o'clock today and I had wheat fix for breakfast and then I was late to get the bus and then I got to work and then Brian from purchasing really pissed me off and then blah 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 blah. That's a diary. What I'm talking about here is journaling. I'm talking about using journaling as a targeted method to impact and change your mindset, your attitude, the way you approach things. What I really, really love, and I know it's something that you and I have talked about before, you and I are both uh, great fans of Tim Ferriss. Mm. And Tim Ferriss has a number of amazing podcasts. He's written some incredible books. If you haven't uh, listened to Tim Ferriss, if you haven't, uh, you know, uh, come across him, go and search him out. He is, um, you know, a really great self-development coach, mindset guy. He wrote this amazing book called Tools of Titans. And it's basically all the top advice from like 140 really super successful people. There's like people in there, you know, there's Arnold Schwarzenegger, there are, you know, people at the top of their business game and their athletics game, just really high achievers. And what I thought was really interesting, in the foreword to that book, he states that over 80% of the people featured in that book, 80% of these high achievers that he interviewed, practiced some form of mindset or mindfulness work every single day. 80%. Over 80% of those high achievers knew that mindset or mindfulness work every single day 
contributed to them being at the top of their game. Mm. So from my point of view, whether it's journaling, mindfulness, meditation, affirmations, whatever it might be, there's probably a load of people listening to this podcast right now thinking that's a load of woo-woo theoretical bollocks, Alice. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) You can think that if you want. The point is it works. Yeah. And the motto the motto of this podcast as well is, hey, we're going to suggest things. Try it. If you don't like it, fine, throw it away. But you might like it. One, one question I did have about journaling. So how does uh, journaling differ from writing a diary? So if someone's going to say, OK, I'm going to start journaling. I mean, obviously, we'd encourage people to actually research. You know, you can Google it. You can listen to what Tim Ferriss says about it. But how would you describe the difference between journaling and keeping a diary? So keeping a diary, as I said earlier, you know, keeping a diary is very much talking about what happened. Mm. So I got up at seven o'clock. I had Weetabix for breakfast. You're describing what's happened. Now, that's all very well and it's very nice and whatever. Journaling from a mindset point of view is all about understanding and then affecting change. So this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about how coaching is understanding the past but then using it to impact the future. Mm. So when I talk about journaling, when I talk about um, targeted journaling, I mean using it as a mindset tool to impact the future. There are loads of different ways to do it. Um, What's very clear from a psychology point of view is that you get what you focus on. Mm. So if you are constantly focusing on the past and what goes wrong, you will get more of the same. So in your diary, you're focusing on, oh, I had a really bad day and then so-and-so yelled at me and then I felt really shit about life and blah, blah. Chances are you will get more of the same, not because of any woo-woo universe crap, Mm. simply because that's what you're focusing on, so that's what you will see. You get target fixated, essentially. Exactly, exactly. Whereas the whole principle of journaling is writing in what it is you choose to have for the future. And again, it's not some kind of woo-woo law of attraction stuff. It's simply about the fact that what we focus on, we tend to notice. What we focus on, our brain deems to be important. And so when we are using journaling in a targeted way, we can actually tell our brain what's important. And we can write into existence how we want to feel. So if we want to feel confident, empowered, uh, attractive, intelligent, whatever it is we want to feel, we can use journaling to write that into existence. So keeping a diary is about the past. Mm. Writing a journal or journaling is about the future. And I'm actually going to share a little bit from my journal here, just to give an example of of how I, I found journaling incredibly useful. So I write a daily journal and it's it, like I say, it's not a list of what happened today. On the one side, I've got a list of things I need to do. And these are also things I want to do. So my workout goes in there, whatever I want my workout to be. I write it first thing in the morning, you know, whatever it's going to be, a run, a, work, a weight session, um, you know, going to jujitsu, whatever I'm going to be doing. I write it in there. I write out all the other things. Some of the things I need to get done, like you need to, you know, need to wash the car or need to do this. But some of it's stuff I want to do. So it might relate to a career goal I have. And I also have written down there my long-term career goals. So I have a career goal. I have a personal goal. I have a few other things related to creative projects that I write there every day. And I have a deadline. So I say, for example, by November, I will have done this. Um, 
uh, or by you know by, within three weeks time I will have achieved this and this is step one on the journey towards me getting this particular career goal or fitness goal or whatever and every day I go through I check off the things I've achieved and it and at the end I also have a a, a place where I can write what lessons I've learned that day mm. and also what my wins are so mm. what went what went well what worked also a place to learn lessons what didn't work and why did it work and how can I apply that how can I change that in the future and also they have a little bit at the end which I was quite skeptical of but it's actually worked quite well it says tonight I am grateful for and you've mm. got to write three things you're grateful for and actually just the act of looking through and thinking it can be anything from right now I've got an awesome cup of coffee to I have you know I was able to talk to my friend or I'm just glad sometimes I write I'm just glad I left the Jehovah's Witnesses because Mm. that's I'm incredibly grateful for that and it does reframe your life you see progress I find because I'm writing my goals down like this I actually take steps toward them and I can actually feel like I'm making progress to what I want with my life and it reframes my life because it's very easy to think oh this is going wrong and that's going wrong and but when you actually have to sit down at the end of the day and write out a few things you're genuinely grateful for it really does reframe your approach to life and so that's why I wanted to kind of focus on journaling a bit because it's something that I think and as we said these are all kind of introductory tools but I think one thing I would recommend to HJWs is seriously research, like you say, mindset journaling. There's lots of different journals you can buy that can prompt you. You can just start with a notepad. Um, but this is something I would encourage everyone to start with as like an initial step on that road. I think it's incredibly useful. I really massively agree with you. And, and what you've said there about gratitude, mm. um, taking some time every single day to list all the things you're grateful for it pulls you out of uh, a negative funk and and just to give a, a bit of an example um my uh i have relatively elderly parents um and one of my parents was extremely ill very recently and um i was staying with them at the time um my parent was in hospital. It was all a very horrible time. You know, we, we, we didn't really know what was happening. And the whole day had been really negative. Mm. And the alar- so I keep an alarm on my phone that reminds me that I need to do my gratitude journaling, my journaling, my affirmations, etc. And the alarm went off on my phone to tell me that, to remind me that I needed to do my gratitude journaling. And I didn't feel like doing it. I'd spent the entire day at the hospital. It was a very negative day. But I forced myself to do it, as I always did. And the first thing that I wrote down was, I'm so grateful that I still have my parents. Mm. Because, and I'm sure so many people listening to this can relate, so many people maybe have lost their parents or they know their friends or people who have lost their parents. And so even though it had been a really horrible, negative few days, the first thing I wrote was, I'm so grateful that I get to go to the hospital and see my elderly parent and hold their hand Mm -hmm. and talk to them and look them in the face. And as soon as I wrote that down, my entire day shifted. My entire attitude shifted. All of a sudden, I was focusing on all the good stuff on all the positive stuff, on all the jokes that we were going to have, on, 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 on when I walked into that hospital ward, how their face was going to light up when they saw me and how I was going to make sure that they had a cup of tea and that, you know, they were comfortable. And 
the situation hadn't changed. Mm. They were still in hospital. They were still very ill. It was still all a bit shit. Mm. But by that simple act of focusing on what I had to be grateful for, my entire day changed. Mm. And it was a really, really wonderful moment that just reinforced to me why journaling, gratitude, as you mentioned earlier, why all of those things are so powerful, because they have the ability to shift our entire energy. Absolutely. Now that's, um, and as, as I've said, we're going to be revisiting this subject quite a lot in future episodes because there's so much to talk about. Take a drink. Uh, take a drink. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, your, 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 your dead livers are my fault. Um, so what I thought we could do is um, if we start, if we kind of, um, as we're coming to the end of our, our time, there's a few things I just want to go through. The first thing is, as I've said, Alice is going to be um, something of a regular guest on this podcast. And so I'm sure there are lots of people listening to this, this podcast. You've got, as, as we all have as XJWs, loads of questions they'd love to ask a life coach, especially one who has XJW experience. So if you do have those questions, if there's something you'd like to ask Alice, if you can email it to us at forwardcast at gmail.com. Attention, attention, this is the BBC. We interrupt this podcast to bring you an urgent correction. The correct email address to use for questions is jwforwardcast at gmail.com, not forwardcast at gmail.com. This mistake was made because Covert Fade is a stupid person and did not reserve this email address before recording this initial episode. We repeat, Covert Fade is a stupid person. We now return you to your scheduled podcast. Then um, we'll endeavour to get through as many as we can um, in certain sections on the podcast if we can if we can get Alice back, um, which hopefully she'll be able to do. I might be able to twist her arm or bribe her. Or yeah, she's thumb she's thumbing she's giving me the thumbs up on video. So okay, she's up for that. Excellent. So that's forwardcast at gmail.com if there's something you'd like to ask Alice, if you've got a, a problem or a question or anything at all. Um, Alice, where can we find you online? Are you do you have any um, online Twitter presence or I absolutely do, yeah. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at the Alice Chesh. Uh, and I'm I, th- I think you'll probably put that in the uh, in the, the comments of the podcast as well. <laughs> Um, so I have to warn you, if you follow me on Twitter at the Alice Chesh, uh, you will find commentary about, uh, XJW matters, lots of stuff about life coach, mindfulness and positivity, and also a fair amount about cats as well. <laughs> so you have been warned. <laughs> there is a high cat quotient on that Twitter page. Absolutely. Be aware. Um, so you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Covert Fade. Um, I write for jwsurvey.org, so you can find my articles there as well. And as I've said, I sometimes appear on the Watchtower in Focus, Watchtower in Focus show uh, on the uh, John Cedars channel, which is run by my friend Lloyd Evans. Um, which is a great in-focus show that deals with a lot of current news articles and, uh, and issues going on inside the Jehovah's Witness religion right now. Um, so before we call an end to this particular show, there's just one little tradition we have where I ask a guest to bring something to, do, to give us one task to take away that they think our listeners might find useful or one thing they think our listeners might like. So Alice, what do you have that you think would be useful for our listeners to to take away or to try so i'm going to give you guys a quick 
10 minute journaling task. Okay, it's not going to take me 10 minutes to describe, don't worry. But if you've got 10 minutes in your day and you want to find out if journaling is something that's going to work for you, then this is something that you can try. So what I want you to do is for, I want you to get your phone and set yourself five minutes on your timer. Okay. I want you to open your journal and for five minutes, I want you to go to the dark side. I want you to write down all the shit that you secretly think about yourself. I am fat. I'm ugly. I'm stupid. I can't affect change. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm ashamed of myself. I blah, 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 whatever those things are. I just want you to let rip on one side. When your alarm goes off for five minutes, I then want you to set it for another five minutes. And on the other side of the page, I want you to write the exact opposite. I am beautiful. I am smart. I am intelligent. I am gorgeous. I am strong. I know what I'm doing with my life. The exact opposite of all those negative, horrible, shitty things that we secretly all think about ourselves. Once you've written all those wonderful, gorgeous, happy, positive things, I want you to rip out the page with all the negative stuff and I want you to burn it. I want you to take a lighter and burn all of that crap. And what you then have is you have a wonderful page in your journal that is all the wonderful positive stuff that you secretly want to think about yourself. And then I want you to go back to that page whenever you need to, to give yourself a bit of a kick up the ass to remind yourself how awesome you are. And this is particularly important as people who have escaped high control religion. We need reminding how bloody awesome we are. We are good enough. We are worthy enough. We are smart enough. We are pretty enough. We are intelligent enough. That exercise should take you about 10 minutes. Uh, I would love to know how you get on with it. So feel free to hit me up on my Twitter at the Alice Chesh and let me know how you get on. Awesome. Thank you. Aish. That sounds like 10 minutes well spent, especially since you get to burn stuff. Well, exactly. As a pyromaniac, <laughs> it's, it's we are not responsible for burning houses. Um, so the thing I'd like to bring to this particular table is, and again, this is something I actually heard listening to the Tim Ferriss show. And again, you'll hear that name. There's a lot of names we're going to be dropping. And one of the things I'm actually going to be doing as we do this podcast is introducing you to various books or philosophers or podcasts that I think are useful. So as an early recommendation, Tim Ferriss is a fantastic podcaster. But I heard a great suggestion on one of his podcasts, and it specifically relates to the problem we've been discussing of JWs, XJWs not being able to kind of take ownership for solutions, not believing they have the power to affect change. And this is called the 28 day no complaint challenge. Now, Tim actually does a, a modified version of the original one because the original idea was you put a bracelet on your right wrist and for 28 days, anytime you make a complaint, you have to move the bracelet to the other wrist. And the, the channel challenge is you have to go 28 days without moving that bracelet before you can take it off. Now, what the Tim says, and I actually agree with him on this, is he didn't quite like that version because you do need to be able to complain. You need constructive criticism is good. And part of being your own person is to be able to decide when you don't think something's good enough and you need to, you know, need to address it. So the modified version of this, which I think is brilliant, is for 28 days, you put that bracelet on your wrist or that rubber band or whatever you want it to be. Um, and 
you're allowed to complain, but you have to also come up with a solution. So, for example, I was, you know, oh, it's really annoying that I was stuck in traffic today. Well, that's just a complaint. You have to move the band to the other wrist and reset the 28-day count. Oh, it's really annoying that I was stuck in traffic today. So I'm going to research either a better route or I'm going to leave to get to work at a different time. Now you've brought a solution to the table. Um, oh, it's really annoying that, you know, I... Um, it's really annoying that I missed my workout today. Okay, you missed your workout. That's just a complaint. You move, the, you know, you reset the 28-day counter. Uh, it's really annoying that I missed my workout today. So I'm actually going to schedule my time. I'm going to, I'm going to do a bit, be a bit more constructive with my day. I'm going to work out either in the morning or at night, or I'm going to find a place where I can do that workout without being interrupted. That's kind of, um, again, you're bringing a solution to the table. And try and do this with everything that comes your way. Sometimes it'll be a solution that you can think, oh, yeah, I, I can do X, Y, Z. Sometimes it might be a solution that you have to go out and talk to other people to get a solution for. And again, but what this is doing is it's getting you into the habit of seeing a problem and coming up with a solution. It's getting you used to the fact that you can actually address problems and create positive change in your life. So what I'm going to bring to the table is that 28-day challenge. Um, all you need is a rubber band, although if you probably want to get a bit more stylish, you can get a, a bracelet or something you can put around your wrist. Um, but I, I actually did that. Um, and I... I found it incredibly useful just in getting my mindset to the point of saying, okay, here's a problem. Now, how am I going to solve it? And so that's what I'm bringing to the table today. That's awesome. Thank you. All. So that brings us to the end of the inaugural Forwardcast. Um, I'm sure which will be the first of many. I just want to say a huge thanks to uh, Alice Cheshire for joining us today. Thank you, Alice. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. No worries. And uh, as always, guys, we'll speak to you soon and uh, have fun. Thank you for listening to the Forwardcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, there are many ways you can support it. You can subscribe on iTunes to get access to new podcasts as soon as they go up and to easily access our back catalogue. You can share this podcast with your friends and family on social media and you can follow me on Twitter at Covert Fade. If you'd like to support this podcast financially, you can do so on Patreon slash Covert Fade. Thank you so much to everyone who's already donated. Your generous support continues to make this podcast possible and to help us meet the expenses involved in creating it. Remember, you get one life. So decide how you want to live it, make a plan, put that plan into action, and start living it now.